You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of tips on handling an equine disease outbreak with Dr. Cara Wright. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2023 by Merck Animal Health. Cara Wright, DVM, is a 2009 graduate of the Virginia Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine. Prior to veterinary school, she completed a master's degree at Louisiana State University, where she studied the reproductive characteristics of high body condition mares. She completed an internship in Ocala, Florida, then ran a successful equine veterinary relief business at several private practices across the country. Dr. Wright is a founding member of the Sustainability and Equine Practice Seminars, which focus on improving the well-being and productivity of equine veterinarians. She also is a facilitator in the Decade One and Starting Gate programs for equine vets and students. Dr. Wright joined the professional services team at Merck Animal Health in the summer of 2022. Thank you, Dr. Wright, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about tips on handling an equine disease outbreak. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, this is a big topic, and I know we can't cover everything we would like to in here, but we're going to try and get get as much as we can in. So let's talk about this. You're a treating veterinarian at a farm. And you have a suspicion that there might be an infectious contagious disease. What are your first steps? What what should you have already done and what do you need to do? So, you know, that's that's a great question. And there's a lot of ways to approach it. You know, ideally, everybody has a plan for this. Right. So you don't wake up and hear the call like, oh, we've got a couple horses with a fever and nasal discharge and panic. You wake up and say, great, here's what I do because I know what my plan is. Um, and I think the most important thing, and this is just in my experience, and I think other people would agree, is knowing how to isolate horses that need to be isolated on your property. Um, It makes your life a lot easier if you have a place where you can put those horses either that are, you know, febrile or have that nasal discharge or maybe have come back from an event where there was some sort of disease outbreak. Having that place where they can quarantine and be isolated from the others is really important. When you're talking about isolation and, and protocols, You're not just talking about the horses. So what does this include? Yeah, so isolation, stalls, and, you know, quarantine situations encompass not just the horses, as you just said, but it encompasses the caretaking of the horses. It means the wheelbarrows, the pitchforks, the water hoses. Um, We're talking about the farriers, the veterinarians who are coming in. Um, How about the the kids who are there for their riding lesson and they're walking around the barn giving everybody a snack, okay? Remember that a lot of these infectious diseases can be transmitted by fomites. Um, So you really wanna be careful that there is limited traffic of both humans, horses, and, you know, your barn dogs when you are isolating those horses. Um, you obviously are also going to think, you know, about making sure that those horses are away from the other horses that they can't sneeze on or cough or breathe on, you know, the unexposed horses. But I think it's really important to watch your movement of everything on the farm. That's going to be the key to keeping those horses isolated. So there's always the question of, 
Okay, so how long do you really need to isolate a horse? A horse came back from a show. How long do you really need to isolate that horse? That's a great question. Um, And it's an answer that a lot of people are not probably going to want to hear because the answer is (laughs) ideally a minimum of two weeks even better would be three to four, right? So all sorts of these contagious diseases can have an incubation period of up to around 21 days. So in an ideal world, um, and I will say one of my um, former clients was able to do this at their barn and it just made their life so much easier. When horses come back for a show, they go to their own section and that's where they stay for a couple of weeks and then they're not moving horses around every time they come back, but they're, they know that those horses go to that part of the barn and that's where they are and nobody goes to touch them. And it, it's really helpful to be able to keep them separated for a couple of weeks. The other part that's important, especially, um, you know, these horses that are coming from high traffic situations, you know, a show or a rodeo or a sale is to watch their temperatures. You want to be checking those temperatures twice a day because oftentimes a slight rise in temperature is going to precede any other clinical signs. So by the time you find a horse that is kind of down in the dumps and lethargic and has, you know, mucopurulent nasal discharge or whatever, they have probably spiked a fever a couple days before and have maybe been shedding whatever it is they have. And that's that's what you really want to catch when you're isolating these horses is that shedding period where you're not exposing everyone else to their sickness. Yeah, that's very important. And again, I think you you also mentioned something really important. You talked about the fomites, but you talked about sneezing and coughing. I mean, horses can spread a lot with aerosol. Yes, that is true. And I think that's something to think about when you're when you're looking at how you're going to stable your horses. Um, just because you stuck them on the end of the barn, make sure you're paying attention to where their windows are and are the cross ties right across from their outside window. And just because they can't stick their head out the window, it doesn't mean they can't sneeze out the window into the cross ties. Um, so you really want to, you know, think about if you were a sneezing horse, where are your secretions going um, when you are setting up your isolation? The other thing that's important, I think, um, that people should think about even when they're designing a facility or talking about how they're going to set up horses on their property is looking at what your stalls are made of. Um, You know, and it's obviously nice to have a barn with great airflow with maybe just, you know, poles in between some of the stalls, you know, and, and good ventilation. But that's actually really bad for any sort of exposure in an outbreak situation, because if those horses are touching noses and breathing on each other, then they are effectively all exposed to whatever the one horse has versus if you've got a concrete block barn or a barn with, um, you know, walls that go up to the ceiling. So the horses can't, you know, play with each other over the top of the the partitions. Those can make a big difference. Not to mention it, it's a whole lot easier to keep those clean. Absolutely. So when you're when you're worrying about these horses, I mean, we're and we're talking about the home farm now. I mean, I, we could talk about shows and travel right. and trailers and everything else, right. but let's we're focusing on the home farm. So as a vet, when you go to your farms and you know you have a client that has horses going on and off the farm, how do you help them set up an isolation or quarantine facility if they've just got one barn with stalls on each side? Great question. So again, it's going to depend on the traffic and how that barn is set up, but your goal is to find a stall 
ideally at the end of the barn where people and horses do not have to walk by it. So, um, you know, if you've got a horse with a fever and mucopurulent nasal discharge, sticking him in the stall next to the feed room and the cross tie is probably not ideal. So whatever is furthest away and where you can direct traffic so that it's not passing that stall is going to be the best option in a situation like that where you don't have the ability to put it in a different barn. Yeah, and you had mentioned, you know, some of the things about and the word biosecurity, of course, always comes up talking about the wheelbarrows and the rakes and stuff. How is it that you best handle these? Where they've come back from a show, they look perfectly fine. You're going to take their temperature twice a day. But what about? Yeah, OK, well, I'm still going to go muck out all the stalls. So yeah. what's your what's your advice to the vets to help their owners? So when you have a situation like that, you know, horses that are it is a little bit different when you have horses that are known to be sick or have been exposed versus horses that are just coming back from a show where there's been no outbreak and they're not sick. Um, you still want to keep them apart because it will make your life easier in case they do come down with something. But as far as cleaning and feeding and that kind of stuff, if you do those horses after your non-exposed healthy horses, that's a pretty helpful way to do it. So you're taking a clean wheelbarrow per se, right? I mean, it's a wheelbarrow. It's never going to be that clean, no matter how hard you clean it. But um, you're not taking a wheelbarrow from a horse that may have exposure to disease and bringing it to a horse that you know didn't leave the property. So um, a lot of times we'll have people set up tiers and we'll use um, like stoplight colors, green, mm -hmm. yellow, or red. And that will help people recognize like, wait, this horse is in the red area. I should not go here first. Um, and that kind of thing. And I will say, if you do have an active disease outbreak on your farm as a veterinarian, depending on where you are, um, as far as your state, different diseases are going to be reportable to the state veterinarian. And your state veterinarian um, can be very, very helpful in a situation where you have a reportable disease outbreak in coming to that farm and helping you set up those perimeters, those protocols, those isolation areas, and walking through the actual physical, this is how we are going to do it. First, you will go to this stall, then you will go to this stall, and, and that kind of um, timeline. Oh, that that's great. Um, so let's talk about, okay, you've got a horse that spiked a fever is showing, you know, purulent nasal discharge or some, some clinical sign is making you worry. So what do you do with testing? Great question. Um, so the first thing you're going to want to do, obviously, complete your physical exam, get all your notes, make sure you record that horse's fever, ask about its vaccination status. And then you're going to want to do and, you know, obviously, we're talking about in this situation, we're talking about upper respiratory disease, you're going to want to do um, some swabs, you're going to want to do some nasopharyngeal swabs to test for all of those common pathogens that we vaccinate for, and that we don't vaccinate for, but still circulate in the equine um, world. Um, and there's some some pretty good keys to getting a good sample of these. And um, one of them is to use a synthetic swab. Don't use a cotton tip one. Um, those viruses need to be on that synthetic swab to make sure you get them um, from the horse's nose all the way to the lab. 
Um, there are a couple different types of testing. And again, whatever university or lab that you send it to, they're all going to have a respiratory panel with very clear instructions. But for the most part, um, a PCR test is going to be the fastest way to get results of what could this disease process be. Um, there are some more specific tests called virus isolation tests, which are a little bit more in-depth and take a lot longer to get back. So that's why in the face of an outbreak or a sick horse, we recommend PCR testing because you're going to get that back with a pretty quick turnaround. So you can know exactly what disease process you're dealing with, which is going to help you decide how you are going to approach the rest of the horses, your quarantine, your timing. Does anybody need a booster vaccine? Any of that stuff. Um, so yeah, so nasal swabs are really important. The other thing that um, goes with that, and again, your lab will have very detailed instructions for these panels, but most of the time they're going to want you to pull a whole blood sample and send that as well, because what that will do is you'll enable the lab to look for the presence of viremia or virus in the blood. Um, so in case that nasal swab is negative, you will still have that blood sample to really be able to try and decide what's going on. Today's Diseased is Your podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their unconditional investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program, the partnership with Equitrace, which delivers secure, streamlined record keeping and instantaneous temperature measurements when coupled with Merck Animal Health Biotherm Microchips. Visit MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com for more information. And this is also, I think you had, had mentioned you know, when you and I were offline, but you had said you might have to plan to repeat this testing because not all the horses are going to show up positive at the same time. Yep, that's exactly right. And if we look back at the EHV1 outbreak that happened at the Desert International Horse Park last show season, the beginning of 2022, um, if you look through some of the details of that case, there were horses that were exposed and tested negative, and then they ended up testing positive days later. And that can actually be, um, that can happen with upper respiratory disease, because if you miss that first bout of nasal shedding, um, you're going to want to test a couple days later because you just want to make sure you know what you're dealing with. That's a great tip. Um, again, temps, you, you want to watch the temps twice a day. How long? Do you watch them and what are you looking for? So as far as temperatures go, you know, I think um, taking temperatures twice a day is really important. Um, we all know that horses each have their own individual variation of what their normal is. And so if you're starting to temp horses twice a day in this kind of situation, it's a lot easier to see any trends that are happening. Um, and again, so I would say you know, let's say these horses come back from a show where you know they were exposed, they're going to be in isolation for two to three weeks, you're going to be temping them that whole time. Okay, remember, our incubation periods can be up to 21 days. So in that case, you're going to want to make sure you're not missing a fever in that time period. Um, there are a couple of ways to make temping horses twice a day a lot less painful. Temping horses twice a day can seem overwhelming, especially when you have horses in isolation, because in that case, 
You should be wearing protective gear. If you have a known infectious agent, you should be disinfecting between touching each horse. There should be foot baths so that you're not tracking infectious material between stalls. So tending a horse twice a day when you've got a few horses to do that are in isolation can be a big task. Um, so number one, if you're going to be doing that, you've got to make sure that your clients or whoever's doing it understands the importance of that biosecurity and disinfecting between horses. So they're not the ones that are bringing an infectious agent between horses that are in isolation. Um, rectal temperature is traditionally the way that we have been taking temperatures. But something that is pretty awesome that is now available is there's a biothermal microchip available, and that is a microchip that reads the body temperature of the horse. And it reads with um, a certain type of scanner, and basically that can be really useful in an outbreak situation because you do not have to have somebody necessarily gowning and gloving and going into the stall in order to get that temperature. They can use that scanner and wave it near the horse so you can potentially cut down on some of your personnel needs trying to get those temperatures twice a day that's great and when you were talking about those biothermal microchips do they give the same as a rectal temperature yes they are very accurate and what we recommend is you know you're, you're watching these trends of horses and seeing their temperatures twice a day whether mm -hmm. you're using that microchip or a rectal temp and then what i would recommend to anybody is Regardless of the method, if you see a horse that's starting to creep up or you're getting a number that is different than their normal, to just check it again and just make sure that it's consistent so that you're really telling if you have a trend. Oh, that's, that's a great point. Vaccination. So let's let's talk about that for, for horse owners that have farms. Sometimes people think, and I love your word for this, vaccinations aren't a force field. Right. So let's talk about that. How do veterinarians right. convey that to horse owners? Right. That's yeah, that I mean, when I was in full time practice, that is something that is really tricky. I think the difference and, you know, as veterinarians, we understand that there are some vaccines that offer a huge amount of protection. You know, for example, rabies or your encephalitis vaccines like those prevent disease so much of the time versus our respiratory diseases are a little trickier just because of the nature of those viruses. So with those, we are looking to decrease the amount and length of sickness as well as decrease the amount of shedding of the virus. So they're just slightly different. Um, and I think, you know, explaining that to horse owners can be a challenge. I do think that you know, the COVID-19 pandemic obviously was a thing on many levels for a lot of people and places. But one thing I think that it did do was help people understand that vaccines make you get less sick. They don't always make you not get sick at all. And so that translates to our equine companions and their respiratory disease. The other thing that the COVID-19 pandemic did is I think it reminded people that when you get a vaccine, sometimes your arm's a little sore. Sometimes you don't feel great for a day or two. Um, and I think, you know, as adults, we don't get a ton of vaccines, right? We get all of them when we're kids and then we're pretty much protected. And so I think that was a good reminder for some of my clients that 
yeah, if your horse has a little bit of a sore neck or is a little bit quiet and slow to eat their dinner, like that can be within normal for post-vaccination behavior. No, that's a that's a really good tip to remind clients of that because I think sometimes they get it and then they think they're going to go out to the show the next day. Yeah, well, be at 100%. So, Kim, that's a really great point as well is timing of your vaccinations um, for your horses that are that are showing or doing um, doing activities where they're around other horses is really important. There's a lot of data out there um, that shows that a lot of our equine respiratory diseases are going to be more common in the winter. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, the horses are inside. There's not as much fresh air. Depending on where you are, you're actually showing and traveling even more. So timing of your vaccines is actually really, really important. You know, some of these we recommend horses getting every six months for their upper respiratory diseases. And, you know, maybe you would think about, oh, they're leaving. Maybe they should get it a little early if they're leaving for a show to make sure they're they're as protected as they're going to be. Um so that's a good conversation to have with your clients is just about, you know, maybe timing those vaccines a little bit more to ensure there's the the optimum protection when they're actually going to these events. And we did talk about earlier about notifying your state vet who can be yep. extremely helpful in this. Yep. But how do you know what diseases are reportable in your state? Because they're not the same everywhere. That's a great question. So number one, I will tell you, if you send a sample to a lab and it comes up with one of the diseases that's reportable, they are going to let you know and they are going to call the state vet, um, which is helpful, right? So if you forget that you are supposed to report an EHV-1 case, that lab is not going to let you forget. Um, there is a resource out there. It's the Equine Disease Communication Center. Um, and that is a really great resource for information on outbreaks and cases in other states. Um, and the other thing that you can do if you are unsure of what's reportable is um, go to your state vet website or honestly just call your lab because the lab is going to know and the lab is usually going to be um, pretty up to date on anything that changes. Um, and then every state is going to have different rules about when you actually have to report these diseases. Um, some of them, for example, in California, if you have an EHV1 neurologic strain come up on one of your samples, the lab will report it immediately. And then you also need to report it to the state. But if you have an equine influenza or a non-neuropathic EHV1, you have a month to report it to the state. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why the rules are different, but the state, um, the state vet website or the lab are going to be good resources for that. That's a, that's a good point. And again, when you talked about the EDCC, um, that is a great, um, a great resource. And veterinarians also in the field can report things that are not reportable in their state. Some, some people were like, well, why should we report strangles when it's not a reportable disease in the state? But if you were, if you had a client that was going to go to Florida and you found out that flu or strangles or something else that may be not as reportable in that state, then it would be really great to know about that. So EDCC is a great resource for vets and horse owners. Agreed. Totally agreed. Okay. And when there is the state vet is involved with a disease that has to be quarantined by state law, um, then the state vet is responsible for releasing that quarantine. But what about if you have 
a, a case of equine influenza on a farm that you're managing, how do you know when you can safely let that horse go back into population? Great question. So, of course, you're going to do going to be monitoring that patient clinically, you know, are their clinical signs abated? Do they have a fever? Are they feeling better? Um, you know, depending on your comfort level, you may want to do another swab, right? And make sure that they are actually done shedding whatever their disease is that they've got. Um, you know, I know if you've got an EHV1 case, we like to have two negative swabs a week apart before you let a horse out of quarantine. Um, and again, that's for a horse that has been sick and tested positive. Um, as far as horses that are, you know, maybe have come back from a show and you're just isolating them for to be very complete and safe, you know, two weeks with no clinical signs and no rise in temperature can be pretty, pretty safe, three weeks, even safer. Um, but, you know, of course, I do under, you know, we all understand there's limitations in space and personnel for some of these uh, quarantine plans. Right. And just general prevention. We know vaccination is so important and we still know that there's some horse owners they don't want to vaccinate for everything. So how do you how do you talk to your horse owners about proper vaccination? And like you mentioned before, there may be specific needs. Your horse is going to travel to go to a show or it's coming on winter and they haven't had their flu vaccine. So how right. do you talk to them about that? Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, I think some of the headlines do some of the talking for us, um, which, you know, is good and bad, right? Because it'll get people worked up into a bit of a frenzy, but then it can also help underscore the importance of, you know, vaccinating your horses can give them the chance to get less sick if they are exposed. Um, you know, something that I think is really important to note is a disease like equine influenza, it doesn't necessarily strike fear into the heart of a horse owner the way that equine herpes virus does, right? I mean, you hear equine herpes virus and people, you know, reasonably get a little bit worked up about it. But um, mm -hmm. equine influenza, like, okay, great, the horse is sick, it's got a fever, it's coughing, it doesn't feel good, no big deal. But I think people forget, or they just don't know that it actually, um, you know, can cause some damage to those airways. And then those horses are actually um, going to be more at risk for a secondary bacterial infection. And their airway is just not going to be as functional for, you know, up to a few weeks sometimes after that, that disease process goes through. So I think explaining to people that just because the sickness isn't that bad, you know, they think it might not be that bad. It can actually cause a few weeks of a horse not being able to work, not being able to show and being more at risk of getting a secondary disease. So I think that's an important thing um, to just point out to your clients. So um, something that you can do knowing that your horses are going to be exposed besides obviously vaccinating them to try and protect them from that. Um, for example, when you're trailering them, keep their heads loose, make sure they've got lots of water, make sure they've got a chance to stop and rest so they can lower their head. Lowering their head is a really effective way of them clearing their airway of mucus and dust and all those particles that then, you know, can make them more susceptible if they do get exposed to an infectious disease. That's that's great. And, you know, along with the, the general prevention. So um, when when you do go to a show, sometimes you have the opportunity to have an empty stall between you 
and other your other barn mates and others, and sometimes you don't. Is there any, I realize we're talking about vets at home, but vets are going to get asked this. So I go to a show yeah. and I'm assigned a stall. So how do I make that as safe as possible? Great question. And yeah, so the layout, you know, is usually not your decision. Ideally, all your horses from the same barn would be in their own shed row where they can't touch noses with anybody over the tops of the stalls where you do have that you know tack stall or changing stall kind of in between um if you've got time and the opportunity to clean and disinfect a stall before your horses go in it that is ideal i think the key point when you are cleaning and disinfecting is that disinfectants do not work if there's organic material present so if you go into a stall and it is covered in manure from you know the last five horse shows that needs to go because your disinfectant is not going to be able to work through that level of organic material um so i think that's that's something that's really important and i think also cleaning some of the the places that we don't necessarily think about um and and i would say also like bring your own water buckets don't share that kind of equipment if you can help it. And that can be a really good way to prevent spread of disease. Yeah. And those are just really good points. And sometimes uh, vets just need to remind their horse owners, oh, you're going to a show this weekend. Well, remember, even if you're tying to your trailer, don't share yep. buckets and don't dip the right. end of the hose in the buckets. Right. And and like just because there's a giant tub of water and apples for all the horses to get at the end of their day, don't let your horse stick his face in there because that's <laughs> that's a prime spot for contagious disease transfer. Oh, that and that's a great tip to leave on. And honestly, we could go on and talk about this for hours. But I want to thank you, Dr. Wright, for joining me today on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And thank our audience for listening to Disease Du Jour. And a special thanks to our 2023 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite you to go back and listen to past episodes of Disease Du Jour on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. 